Leading a school district is a unique responsibility, and it's clearly not getting any easier. People rely on you for answers to complicated problems, which feels isolating and sometimes unrealistic. Conferences or webinars, even good ones, don't solve problems when you need it. And sitting and staring at slides with someone talking at you doesn't help either. What if there was a better way? What if you belong to a national, hand-picked community of Java-alike school leaders who could circle up to strategize and solve your most challenging problems when you need it? What if you had access to ongoing content that helped you solve problems and lead every day? There is a better way. When you join Leading Ed Solutions, you'll join a carefully selected, highly committed group of Java-like peers from across the country, a support system beyond your backyard, school leaders helping other school leaders. Real people tracking real issues in real time. Simply submit your challenge. We'll circle you up with your peers to provide solutions. Our content works because it's accessible, practical, and created by proven leaders just like you. You don't have to lead alone. Apply to Leading Ed today and discover why circles are better than rows. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. I am Jeff Rose, the founder of Leading Ed, and I bring to you another leader chat. And the intent of this kind of content is to create leader to leader perspectives and sharing. Um, I do believe that we learn from, of course, research best practices and um, delving in sometimes to um, complex and really important texts. I also know that leaders sometimes need pragmatic, real um, perspectives and information from other leaders. We think leaders learn best from other leaders, hence our leader chats. And to, so today I'm excited like every single time and every single time we do leader chat, it's special because we are constantly, I am constantly learning just by listening to the story and perspective and narrative of other leaders. So let me tell you a little bit about our leader today. I'm going to be introducing you here in a moment to Dr. Nicole Holmes. Now, um, Nicole is the Chief Academic Officer in Cherokee County Schools. Dr. Holmes, who has 26 years of educational experience, including 18 in leadership, earned her bachelor's degree in early childhood education from Spelman College, followed by, followed by a master's degree in the field, uh, excuse me, at Brunau University, and I may have butchered that. She earned leadership and supervision certification from Jacksonville State University and her doctorate in teacher leadership from Walden University. After teaching in Atlanta and Cobb schools, Dr. Holmes joined CCSD in 2002 as an assistant principal of uh, Bascombe Elementary, I may have messed that up too, elementary school and continued in that role for three years. She served as an administrator on special assignment in CCSD in the Office of School Operations for two years and then led at Liberty Point Elementary School as its principal from 2007-2014, during which the school won numerous awards, such as the George Association of Elementary School Principal School Bell Award and the uh, STAGE, the Stage Award, uh, state Award for its response to intervention programs that assist in struggling students academically. And prior to a role as CAO, 
She was the director of school operations where she supervised elementary school principals also in Cherokee. So not only have we asked Nicole to be part of this leader chat for those reasons, because she does have this incredible background and I know Nicole and um, she's just, she's truly an inspired leader who constantly wants to do best. And she's so focused on students. It's, it's always really fun to, to listen to her because her focus is on kids. Um, and so beyond her impressive resume, you know, the fact is this is, this is Black History Month. And I think it's really important that we honor um, our African-American leaders. We know um, African-American leaders in education are, are definitely underrepresented, um, which um, is, is a problem. And Nicole is one of our members. And so I've gotten to know her. I know that she's skilled in terms of organization, decision-making, promoting others, team-building, and problem-solving. And as an African-American district leader, we should hear her perspective. We should honor her accomplishments, and I believe that creates um, hope for the future. So without further ado, Nicole, welcome to the show today. And let me make sure I unmute you. I do that. Welcome. I want to make sure I can hear you. Thank you. All Glad right. to be here. All right. Well, thanks very much. And maybe you can just tell our listeners, um, our other members, Nicole, that haven't met you yet, um, what I missed in my introduction. There are certain things I missed, and you are not your resume. So um, just tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, I can say my interest in education really started with my grandparents. Uh, my grandmother was a, it was called chapter one back then, instead of title one, which we know it today, was a chapter one teacher who worked with struggling learners. And my grandfather was really big about it on, in, in education um, because it was instilled in him. He had seven siblings and five out of the seven had, had college degrees. My grandfather had his doctorate. He actually was the first African-American uh, district superintendent in the Methodist church in Atlanta, wow. College Park area. So it started with the two of them being very supportive of getting everything that you can uh, through education and then giving back. So there's a long line of educators in my family, including my mother, who also worked in Cherokee County and was the first African-American teacher of the district, teacher of the year for the district, the only African-American. So she had a successful career here in Cherokee, which uh, contributed to my interest in moving from Atlanta inner city, because that's where I started working, I started teaching because my heart was there for kids. All kids can learn, all kids will learn, and I want to be a part of that. So I moved from Atlanta City to Cobb County, spent a little bit of time there, and, to, and then into Cherokee. At the time, they were on the cutting edge of innovation. For a long time, you heard about our sister district uh, just south of us. Everybody and anybody who was in this area worked in that particular school district, but here comes this district on the rise. Here comes Cherokee. And I wanted to be a part of that work. 
It was exciting work that was happening. We we're really branching out and becoming competitive um, in terms of what we were offering our students. There was a, a concerted effort for recruiting people from other places to bring a different perspective to the table while creating this competitive environment. So I started as an assistant principal, as you mentioned, in a very affluent school that was complete opposite of my experience. I worked at inner city. So that was a learning piece for me, which I enjoyed different set of challenges than what you have at the, at a, a at a title one school or a low social economic school, different set of challenges. At the end of the day, all concerned about children learning. Stayed there for three years, enjoyed it. Then had an opportunity to move to the district level um, as an administrator on special assignment to work with principals and learn the inner workings of the district level. How to work with other divisions, how to make and build relationships so that when I did go back into the schools, I had those relationships built and had that support system already in place before becoming a principal, which was wonderful. That was a chance only three of us were afforded at the time, had that opportunity to have. So I had two years of that, building those relationships and really learning the global piece about education at, at in Cherokee County at the district level. Then I went back out as a principal and I was one of two. There were two African-Americans that uh, served as principals in the district. First time uh, when we went out, uh, a male and myself. And I was the principal of the largest elementary school in our district. I had 1,600 kids. New principal, big deal. <laughs> that's, a huge, uh, that's a huge elementary school. I had a whole city outside <laughs> mobiles at the time. Um, and then they were building two new elementary schools that would eventually provide some relief. But to go in as a fairly new um, administrator, young administrator, and then a black administrator, um, created you know, some learning experiences for me ones that I wouldn't trade for anything. School happened to be pretty affluent school as well, but it did have about a 10% population where we had social low social economic students. And trying to figure out how to bridge that where we're one um, was probably one of the biggest focuses for me while at, at that particular school and also pushing the level of rigor never settling for what we had accomplished already at that school, but moving to the next level. What's next for students? And often I would use with that particular staff to help to motivate them some was to, to reference the cell phone. When did the iPhone come out? It was right around, you know, that time, you know, 2007, I think. When you're talking about the iPhone and now they're already up to iPhone now, 12, I think somewhere along there, but it was never good enough to just settle for that first version. So that was always our thing. Okay, we're going to be together moving kids forward. Do we settle for the first version? 
or do we continue to perfect our craft with looking for ways to uh, provide more innovation, more rigor in the classroom, more relevance in the classroom while building those relationships with students? Um, at the end, at the conclusion of that time, I felt like it was time to see if I could make a more global impact. And that's when I moved into the role of a director for school operations, and that was working with all elementary school principals, providing that support for them. And just to see and hear the different perspectives and even continue to learn, hey, if I had known that while I was still in the building, boy, we would be here on a whole different level was a great experience to see the different ways of doing things. It's always more than one way to do something. Um, I felt like that really helped charge me up and, and, and that desire to go even further. I want, but what, what role should I move into for a greater impact? Curriculum has always been my passion. Um, you know, really looking at the, the whole child. And each child is different each cohort of children are different. How do we continue to move forward? And you'll hear me say that quite a bit. Move forward, move forward, move forward. Um, learning what works, enhancing, and doing it better for yeah. children. And now it's become, I'm doing this work for kids because there are jobs out there that we don't even know about that haven't been created yet. So how do we ensure that the skill level is there, the critical thinking is there for you to take what you did acquire while in school and move into one of those roles and be successful at it? That's you a know, big piece. You know, listening to the, the first part of what you just described, it you know comes to mind for me is that I don't think you had any choice as to whether you're going to go on and become extremely educated and become an educator. It seemed as though um, that that was, you were maybe um, almost, you know, conditioned, if not manipulated into the, <laughs> to that role, um, you know, listening to your family background. And to your, your other point, it's interesting. My first principalship was at a high poverty school. And I, I, I made a lot of... Um, you know, I made a lot of judgments and assumptions about some of the other schools in the district. Um, and my next assignment, I, I learned that I was I was I was wrong. Um, you know, the the challenges of serving different students that come from different circumstances, um, it they're different challenges, but it's challenging nonetheless. Right. Um, in my last district, where I was superintendent. Um, I did a teacher swap. I once uh, gathered a group of teachers from different sides of the district and had them go spend a day in another part of the district um, to try to help them understand that it's different, but it's also challenging in different ways. And they came out of that and then had to talk about it with each other. Uh -huh. and it was so you interesting to hear them you know, talk about the assumptions they made and how they were often very wrong and the level of respect that came from mm -hmm. that uh, 
that conversation and that experience for me just to watch it was very mm -hmm. similar to what I had um, experienced mm -hmm. earlier in my career. So I, I know exactly where you're coming from on that too. Um, mm -hmm. So tell us more about, you know, about uh, Cherokee, but specifically kind of what are your hopes, right? So there's, there's things you love about, about uh, the Cherokee system, of course, but you know, what are your hopes for the future? Well, right now, our superintendent is right in the midst of um, trying to recruit more diverse candidates for our classrooms to reflect our population. Our population has continued to change. I've been here 18 years and I've, I've witnessed it. Um, we are about 66% white. Um, we have about 12% uh, Hispanic, 8% African-American, and about 2% Asian. So in looking at our classrooms, though, we have about a 92 to 94, 94% white female teacher in the classroom. So we have been involved in this year really looking into that by meeting with various groups of people, students, parents, and staff to ask, what about the makeup of our district? Is that a concern? Should it be more diverse? And, and overwhelmingly from each one of those groups, yeah, we really would like to see more of a diverse population. What Cherokee has run into though because it's 45, about 45 minutes out of Atlanta, is the fact that candidates are attracted to that city, the city part, you know, Atlanta, Fulton County, places of that nature, not as much as, you know, venturing out to your, your suburbs. So when you have those diverse candidates, they often don't go any further than looking right around what's considered Metro Atlanta. Missing out on some of the opportunities that are out in districts like Cherokee. But I am excited to see what our HR department uh, will, will be able to come up with, with now venturing out to various college campuses for their recruitment efforts. Whereas before, we pretty much have Kennesaw State University in our, back, our backyard. So, and then re, um, also having right up the street, Reinhardt. So we could pick our teacher candidates from right there. But to expand that and really be intentional about going after other candidates and bringing them to the district to nurture them so that they can continue their career in Cherokee is is what we're focusing on now. So can I, ask, I want to ask you one, a follow-up question on, so you describe one of the dilemmas or challenges with mm -hmm. recruiting um, diverse teaching force, um, as you mentioned, kind of your proximity to Atlanta. Um, right. You know, I was uh, about maybe a couple of weeks ago, I had, you know, put out on social media this, post around you know, a book that impacted me in the early 2000s called Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria, right? And, uh -huh. and perhaps you remember that book. Um, and then I was doing a leader chat with one of our members 
um, Riva recently, and she mentioned that, and she said, uh -huh. but that also relates to teachers too. In uh -huh. in her experience, she said, you know, we. She goes, I believe that there is a comfort and a draw um, for sometimes teachers to also teach with other people that they feel like they can relate with. Absolutely. Um, and so I was curious, do you see some of that too? I mean, how, you know, because to attract candidates, sometimes they may look at, so who will I be standing shoulder to shoulder with as mm -hmm. a peer? Do mm -hmm. you think that that impacts um, things, you know, beyond even just your proximity to Atlanta? I do. I do. And it's even more so outside of the workplace. What does the community offer me? Can I go to church in that community? Can I shop in that community? Um, if I want to go to a nice restaurant, is that restaurant welcoming if I walk in? Things of that nature as well. So not just your workforce, but your living in your your community and your living environment also plays into that. And I have to say, when I started in Cherokee, I remember going to the new um, new employee meeting and looking around the room and catching eyes with two other African-Americans. It was another AP who was coming in and then the teacher and smiling and then us kind of gravitating to each other and introducing ourselves and where we were coming from. And honestly, from that point on, we continued with the relationship. One of those, uh, one of those folks is still with us as a teacher in the district and then another one moved on to another district but we still have connections yeah so true. it is it is a part of you know wanting to have that instant connection with someone that may look like you or come from similar background yeah mm -hmm. well as we you know acknowledge you know black history month um what what are your thoughts and you you've touched on them a little bit but your thoughts regarding this underrepresentation that we see um, in terms of African Americans. And then when you add women to that, because by the way, there's an underrepresentation of women also in educational leadership jobs. Now, sometimes there is a, a majority in the teacher's jobs, but unfortunately, a major underrepresentation of women and and also, when you add uh, the concept of African American to that category, it's sure. um, it's unbelievable. You know, uh, how, the kind of underrepresentation, which I think is really kind of a sad state for us. Um, but I'll I'll stop. I'm curious as to, you know, based upon your perspective as being, you know, um, a, a black woman who is in a very influential leadership role in a school district. You know, what are your thoughts on? you know, our underrepresentation, but what you think maybe needs to change? Okay. Um, I would say, I'll, I'll go back a little bit and even talk about, we don't have a lot of African-Americans, and I'm stepping out on a limb, I don't have the numbers to, to show that, going into education anymore. Once upon a time, that career was one that was held in high regard in the African-American community, community, teacher, preacher, doctor. Well, that no longer is the case. Um, see. Moving into other areas, you have more of the STEM careers that are that have opened up. 
for African-Americans. And a lot of people have started moving in that direction, you know, um, and not education. I'll even talk about my alma mater, um, Spelman College. We had a huge education department when I came through. They have now partnered with other schools down there to even have a cohort of people who are interested in going into education. That is not uncommon, unfortunately. Breaks my heart because we had a strong program when I came through. Lots of great people to me came out and went on to do great things from there, but now Spellman focuses on the STEM professions. My daughter, who's 22 now, a senior over there, she's a biology major, looking into going into the health field. So even though I came from a long line of educators, neither one of my daughters had the desire to go into education. And that's heartbreaking because you will continue to need wonderful teachers as we move forward. But I don't see that. And I don't really see um, programs that are nurturing that and bringing along African-Americans to say this is still a well-respected and rewarding career. I don't, I don't see that anymore. I see nurturing for going into other professions. Yeah, so your point is, the fact that that's happening at the at the teacher ranks, mm-hmm. right? It also lessens the pool, the future pool, the pool. Mm-hmm. be able to uh, recruit and promote leadership. Mm-hmm. Correct, correct. And then you have, uh, you know, that level of comfort where you have predominantly black school districts who have those leadership positions and are able to promote from within because that becomes the other thing. A lot of places like to grow their own. Nothing wrong with that. I want to know you before bringing you into one of those leadership positions, which often means either you're here as a teacher or you come in as an assistant principal, even though you may have a resume that says, I'm a sitting principal. I'm just looking for a change or a relocation. I have to kind of start back over. And in some instances, without guarantees that I can move back up, people don't want to take that risk. They like to come in in a lateral position or they've got to pick a place and stay so that the organization can get to know the candidate and hopefully be able to um, be promoted from within. Yeah, I think... uh... That's and the promotion from within to your point is important and a district maybe similar to yours because of your teaching force, mm-hmm. you know, you're probably having to think about, as you mentioned, strategizing around doing that, but also recruiting, right? Mm-hmm. And recruiting is, let's just call it, you know, the strategic stealing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, from educators from other places mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, Otherwise, 10 years out, it makes your goal uh, that you mentioned your superintendent has described being a really difficult one to obtain. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, over this past year, um, 
I, I believe we've had this incredible awakening in our country relative to issues of racial inequities and injustice and inequities and injustice that have, have been there, but maybe not been as visible. Sure. Right? Um, and we have seen people share their perspectives, um, you know, very openly, um, as sometimes as dangerous and scary as some of those are. And so this, this concept of some of these tragedies that we've seen, as well as, um, you know, just maybe the lid being let off, um, it also can create opportunity in my mind, right? It can create a hope for the future that how do we leverage such tragedy to maybe engage in conversation that we didn't have the will to do in the, in the past, or maybe have the sense of urgency for so. In if, if maybe just tell me, do you do you see that? And if so, what are some of your strategies as an educational leader on leveraging the tragedy for potential hope? Sure, I do see it. We've had more conversation this year, probably than my entire career here in Cherokee. So it sparked some conversation and it also gave people uh, the courage to have those conversations. I have always been pretty transparent. Ask me a question, I'll do my best to answer it regardless of what it is. I think people uh, before were just afraid to offend. I don't get offended easily, but that's just who I am. Um, but before it was always, we're going to tiptoe around certain things to continue to work in harmony. When indeed, it was just building a barrier, quite honestly, because you don't have an opportunity to ask those questions and perhaps change some perspectives by asking those questions. So you just go on with your beliefs, just continue with your beliefs. And so this year, I really have appreciated people asking questions. Can I ask you, I'll give you an example. Um, I want to speak about a, a certain person who is African-American. And I want to mention that, and this is coming from um, a white person. Should I call that person African-American or black? Okay, well, my preference for me, I'm comfortable with black. Mm -hmm. It's just not a big thing for me. Uh, African-American, I look at as more formal. So if this is getting ready to be something that you're talking about in a formal manner, or if you're giving kudos to someone, I would say black, but either one should be okay. But I appreciated the question being asked because the person wasn't certain. It should be that easy. I hate to say that, but it, it should be. Just ask a question. Let me give you my perspective on it. You can do what you will with that, but know that you at least have something else to work from. You know, um, that, that example you just, you just stated, what I think is, uh, what, what's, what's great about that is the person who asked that question, potentially, uh, two years ago, wouldn't have asked it, mm -hmm. right? Um, mm -hmm. And if adults 
who bring more baggage to the table can have those conversations. Kids can have those conversations 10 times over. And so um, I, I too am excited about uh, the opportunity of dialogue and discourse relative mm -hmm. to conversations about race. Right. Right. Um, and how do you start those conversations? Because that's still a big question. How do you start? And so I would hope with the relationships that have been built, that the conversations just simply start with the question that pops into your mind, whatever it is, spit it out and let's talk about it. But that we respect each other's opinions after the conversation and it doesn't impact our relationship at the end of the day. You know, we did a, I did this um, interview with um, just recently, a number of months ago with Glenn Singleton who wrote, you know, Courageous Conversations and not just from that book, but other environments, I have learned that it's, it's, it's actually really good to be uncomfortable as long as you're safe, right? Okay. And if you can create a safe place, mm -hmm. it gives permission, promotes people to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It allows us to learn at optimum levels, right? Mm -hmm. And so it sounds, hearing you talk, it sounds like there's some safety being created mm -hmm. that allows people to be uncomfortable and take a step into that discomfort intentionally. Sure, sure. Um, so uh, as a, as a black woman and leader based upon your journey, mm -hmm. what do you think, um, what would, what do you want to communicate to others, right? This is, you know, kind of like your soapbox opportunity speaking to our members, but also other people may be interested in pursuing leadership or supporting um, African-Americans rising up into leadership positions as they should based upon their potential. What do you want to, what is your message to others? My message would be um, the consistency of getting involved in things that are of interest in your passion. I spoke very early on about my passion for curriculum. It was in the classroom. It was as a leader, you know, as a building level leader and now a district leader. It has never changed. It has gotten stronger, in fact, <laughs> as we look at the big picture and all kids. Um, I would say be persistent also. Um, and to venture out a little bit, you know, and be uncomfortable to I didn't know I would end up in Cherokee. I mean, my mom was here, but that was her career. She had a fam fabulous career. I anticipated that I would have been in Atlanta City for many years to come or, or Cobb County. I live in Cobb. Thought that my career would have been there, but I took a chance and saw uh, how Cherokee was posturing to become very, a very competitive district. I wanted to be a part of that, so I took a chance. And up until this point, I was in a district, you know, at most six years and then I'd move and then I'd move. It's been 18 years right here and I've enjoyed it. Has it been difficult for me a little bit? Yes. 
because of the unknown. A lot of people in the school district grew up here and really didn't venture out to see, to experience anything else but Cherokee. So a lot, you know, some biases um, they had to overcome uh, with the people making assumptions just based on the way I look, um, the way I sound. I mean, you know, I had to get over the fact that people would constantly make comments like she speaks so well. Okay, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> Was I not supposed to? But you know, things of that nature, or my favorite, it was back when President Obama was first elected. Um, I had a counselor that said to me, she was working for me at the time, your family reminds me of the Obamas. And I thought, hmm, we're not in politics. I, we don't favor, I'm, my family's short, they're tall, you know, <laughs> I couldn't put together what, but in her mind, we were middle class, you know, African American educated family, and that was the closest comparison that she could express herself to me. So I think through my journey and all the people who have interacted with me and gotten to know me, I've been able to provide a different perspective about Black people that they may not have had before before encountering me. So I would like to see more take that same kind of leap of faith and stick with it and pursue leadership uh, in places where you may not see a whole lot of you. Yeah. You know, um, as, as I sit here, Nicole, Dr. Holmes, and listen to you um number one it it helps me um as as a leader and kind of a, a past district leader learn but if i were to put myself back in the position of you know being in the seat of you know so kind of having a leadership role within a district mm-hmm. i would i would i know for a fact that i would feel like i i, I want to know that Nicole woman, I want to pick her brain. Um, and if I were a teacher or if I were a principal, I would think I want to work for that lady. Um, so I, I mean, of course, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm biased. I've gotten to know you, but, um, I, I can tell you, I, I really appreciate, you know, your time and your passion for what you do. And it comes across and just listening, listening to you talk um, and, and the difference that you make, of course, for your district. But in this case, Nicole, for other leaders, right? This is the reason I ask you here is not to um, help you in your district. It's to help other leaders because of who you are and your perspective. So I'm, I'm just very, very grateful and, and thankful. I appreciate the opportunity. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Jeff. So easy to talk to. <laughs> it makes it easy to have a conversation. So thank you for the invitation. Oh, but, but by all means, by all means. And we'll talk again very soon. Um, so ladies and gentlemen, um, I, I, I just know for a fact after listening to Nicole 
that you will have the same sort of appreciation for her as I do. Um, in the meantime, um, I know that the work is hard. Um, and I also know if you can hang on to that intrinsic motivation, your original why, it will keep you moving forward. Remember the children that they are the first priority. And um, ladies and gentlemen, be well.